0: your Nation, let's ride. But Don Nealon's mountaineers enjoy walking in where angels fear to tread. Harrison trouble, stiff arms, a would be tackler comes down the 25 to 20, goes around about it to 15 to 10 to 5. A touchdown with Virginia, he did it. Takes the slate one on one with the defender. Look at Pat White. West Virginia football. Leave no doubt tonight. Leave no doubt tonight. No doubt, it's just a play the old gold blue. It is a great night to be a mountaineer, wherever you may be. And now, the show brought to you by Mountaineer fans for Mountaineer fans, the Country Road Webcast. What's going on, Mountaineer Nation? Welcome into Season 5, Episode 147 of the CRW Podcast, our Iowa State Review and Reaction Edition. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Cruz. And unfortunately, the Mountaineers suffered another defeat at the hands of the Cyclones. This time, the score is 31-14. to 14. The Mountaineers fell to the Cyclones in Ames to unfortunately fall to last place in the Big 12 Conference Iowa State improves to four and five on the season, while West Virginia drops to three and six overall. Both teams now one and five in conference play, that being Iowa State's first conference win. But with the head to head advantage over the Mountaineers now, the Mountaineers unfortunately fall to last place in the Big 12 Conference officially in the 2022 season with three games remaining. So that's kind of where we stand right now. I know that uh, this was a very disappointing performance, a very disappointing game all around. I'm going to try and keep this episode as brief as possible, but let's dive in on it a little bit right now, starting with the offensive performance. All right, so I think the biggest disappointment in this game is definitely the Mountaineer offense. Um, We've known, you know, kind of the defensive status all season, but... I would argue specifically in the first half of this game and maybe through the first three quarters, they put on a performance that would have allowed West Virginia to secure a win in this game. But the West Virginia offense never was in it, I think. In their first nine possessions, I believe they had seven three-and-outs. It seemed just three-and-out after three-and-out. They couldn't get anything going. They really just ended up struggling all game. I think prior to the final drive of the game in which West Virginia you know, finally got into the end zone again, they scored just before halftime and then scored you know, with like a minute left in the game. Prior to that, they barely had over 100 yards of total offense. Didn't have um, – only had like 80 passing yards at that point. And in the second half of that game, they had three yards of total offense prior to that final drive in garbage time when Garrett Green came in and led the Mountaineers on a touchdown drive. But overall, the numbers, you can even just tell by these team stats how bad the offense performance was for the Mountaineers in this one. 2 of 12 on third downs, only 200 total yards, 124 passing yards. With an interception, 4.7 yards per completion. Only ran for 76 yards on 22 carries. That's three and a half yards a carry. Seven penalties for the Mountaineers. And like I said, the one turnover, which was the interception, thrown by JT Daniels on a ball he tried to throw up for Reese Smith and the the cornerback ended up coming down with it instead. And so I think offensively, like I said, definitely the most disappointing game of the season. By far, JT Daniels' worst game as a Mountaineer. To this point, he didn't even reach 100 yards on the day. Quarterback rating of 22.3, 3.7 yards per his completions. He Eight completions on the day, eight for 22, so well below 50%. Only 81 yards passing, a touchdown and an interception. Some people are wondering if maybe he is injured. He has not played very well the past few games. This is by far his worst game. I'm not going to speculate on that one way or the other. But what I will say about that is if he is injured, then that is a knock against this coaching staff for continuing to play him when there are three other talented quarterbacks on this roster. So I don't know, you know, one way or the other if he is or not, but his performances certainly haven't been on par with what we saw in the first couple games of the season. And unfortunately, he's not the greatest quarterback that we thought, you know, that he would be coming into West Virginia. Many people were comparing him to Will Greer. And I was hopeful that he could be that quarterback as well. Even in the offseason, the West Virginia Mountaineers, you know, in the 247 sports article, if you go back and watch our video on the Country Roads webcast YouTube, when JT Daniels, you know, announced that he was committing to West Virginia, I know 247 Sports had put out an article that they did an interview with JT Daniels' father. And he had spoke about an analytics guy that West Virginia, you know, works for the program within the football organization that told them that they thought the addition of JT Daniels could potentially bring the Mountaineers up to a 10-win team on the season. So I think just all around, one thing you can say about this season is completely misjudged by those involved in the football program, whether it be you know defensively the guys they went to the portal to replace the guys they lost, completely missed on those. And I think looking offensively now, you can honestly say completely missed on JT Daniels. You know, he's not a bad player. I'm not saying that. I think JT Daniels is talented. He's got the intangibles to, you know, possibly be a professional quarterback one day. But what I can say is that looking at the West Virginia offense as a whole, and I think Dell Wolfley even put out a tweet You can on there on, on Twitter. You can look at this up in the picture there. Jared Daigie's numbers are comparable, if not better, than to what JT Daniels were, you know, following eight games of last season. So while JT Daniels is a more talented quarterback than JT Jared Daigle, I'm not saying that by any means, and I'm not saying JT Daniels is not a talented player by any means. I think he has great arm talent, you know, far more better intangibles than Dagey, better pocket presence, awareness, all those things. But what I can say is that the West Virginia offense as a whole this season, with a different quarterback and JT Daniels at the helm, does not look very different than it did the past three seasons with. Jared Day at the helm. And that's surprising, not only because of JT Daniels, but also because you brought in Graham Harrell in the offseason that we thought was going to revitalize this offense. And while some of the numbers have improved slightly, I would argue that just as I said, you know, just a minute ago in regards to JT Daniels at quarterback, and I'm looking much different, the offensive system, play calls, the way it functions on game day does not look much different than it has the prior, you know, three seasons. And it's something that I, you know, speculated here on the Country Roads webcast before that although I believe Graham Harrell has full autonomy of the offense as far as calling the plays, you can definitely tell Neil Brown has his hands in how the offense was sculpted and how it was going to function, you know, when they were coming up with their plans for the season throughout this offseason. Neil Brown definitely has a lot of his influence on it. And I think you can see people that have watched Graham Harrell over the previous seasons. I've had USC fans, you know, tell me personally and other people that have watched Graham Harrell's offense that the offense that they've watched in this year at West Virginia is not typical Graham Harrell at all. I mean, you know, some of the play calls, some of the route concepts and stuff. Yes, but a lot of it, you know, the pace in general, which we've talked about that before. Um, Neil Brown definitely has his hands in it. That's to be expected. We know Neil Brown is a guy that, you know, has been described as detail-oriented and a bit of a micromanager. But I think it's interesting that maybe that goes to show, you know, in the offseason they came out and let Neil Brown say that, you know, this was his move. He wanted to do this to improve things and such. And maybe, maybe that's true. Like I said, purely speculation here. But to me, it kind of seems like maybe this was a move that was forced upon him. Like, hey, the offense has been bad. We're going to give you another year, but we're going to have to make some changes on the offensive side. We got we're going to hire a coordinator. And so that was kind of forced upon him. But Neil Brown, you know, being the micromanager that he is, still, you know, kept his hands in it and kind of more or less, for lack of a better term, I guess kind of seems like he may be keeping Graham Harrell on a leash a little bit. And that's something else people have speculated on. So I did want to address that a little bit here and In my opinion, I think Graham Graham Harrell has full autonomy as far as he's the one calling these plays on Saturday, but I don't think he has full autonomy to run the offense the exact way that he would do it if it was only up to him solely. Um, You know, and some of that I agree with as far as like the pace, which has, you know, been an issue and a complaint. I think with as bad as our defense was, that's why they've gone with the pace they have offensively uh, this season, you know, not going up tempo a lot which is something that we were all kind of hoping to see and see kind of a high-flying attack with Graham Harrell and it just hasn't really been that and I think that when you look at it one of the things we were hoping is like a lot of explosive plays we're going to throw the ball downfield and for whatever reason that may be I don't know I can't put my finger on it you know some people are pointing to maybe JT Daniels being injured like I said don't know about that I don't want to speculate on you know a, a young man's health one way or the other personally but for whatever reason that it is, West Virginia has not been able to throw the ball downfield successfully this season on offense. We saw that again in this game. You know, the the one successful play they did have was the touchdown throw to Bryce Ford Wheaton, a 25-yarder. But it was just, you know, simple back shoulder uh, throw. It wasn't really anything, you know, too spectacular. They weren't burning a man and JT Daniels hitting him in stride or anything. And I think we saw, you know, last game Sam James was open and there was a couple missed throws on that. You know, we saw one or two this game. And, you know, for the season, I believe – don't quote me on this because I'm not 100% sure, but I believe I saw saw a stat that said the Mountaineers only have three pass plays over 50 yards on the entire 2022 season. So definitely what we were sold, you know, or what I guess we expected coming into the season with, you know, the addition of Graham Harrell and JT Daniels just has not come to fruition as far as explosive plays through the air and, and deep passing yards and a lot of passing numbers. I mean looking at JT Daniels passing uh yardage, yardage numbers he's had a couple good games you know the first couple games of the season as i mentioned were kind of his best statistically but he's had you know multiple games that are under 200 yards passing now and now with a game even in this one against Iowa State where he's under 100 yards passing with only 81 so i think the offense has really been a bit of a mixed bag i think statistically our numbers have improved a little bit but I also think that, you know, the game against Towson skews that a little bit. If you take that out, we'd have to see what those numbers look like in comparison to the offense the past three seasons to really see what the improvement is. I haven't had a chance to do that. At the end of the season, I may do that and see, you know, how big of a difference we have made with Graham Harrell and JT Daniels. But I know specifically in this game, the offense really struggled mightily against Iowa State. And of course, tip of the cap to Iowa State for that as well. They have been the Big 12's top ranked defense. Um, you know, they're giving, giving up under 20 points a game. I think they were it was like 16 coming into this game. They hold West Virginia to 14, one of those in garbage time. And they are a top 10 defense in the country, arguably. And I think they proved that in this game and really shut down the Mountaineer offense, who had plenty of chances. You know, the West Virginia defense was getting stops against an Iowa State offense that struggled. But the Mountaineer offense couldn't capitalize on any of those chances, missed opportunities. And it was just, you know, like I said, the best way to sum it up, when I'm talking about this offense performance against Iowa state, I think is it's the worst one of the 2022 season to this point. So that's kind of my thoughts on the West Virginia offense in this game against Iowa state. Let's flip it over to the other side. Talk about the Mountaineer defense a little bit. All right. So the Mountaineer defense, you know, I touched on a little bit earlier when I was uh, referencing the offense, I think the story of the game for them was they played solid, you know, first half enough for the Mountaineers to, you know, stay in the game and have chances to win. And even, through three quarters arguably, but I think the story for them in this game was that they ultimately got gassed. They were on the field too much. As I said, it was three and out after three and out for the Mountaineer offense. So this defense hardly got any breaks, you know, throughout the game, like I said, the first nine possessions for the West Virginia offense had seven, three and out. So they were almost constantly on the field. And of course, by the fourth quarter, they were gassed. And so that's when you see Iowa state really hit some chunk plays in the run game. You've seen, you know, the poor tackling rear's head for the Mountaineer defense that we've seen all season. And, So some of these numbers that Iowa State ends up with are a product of that. A lot of those they racked up late in that fourth quarter. So I think, you know, defensively, some of these numbers sound bad statistically. And I think Iowa State had their best game offensively of the year yet, which you don't want to have happen against you. But I also think that the West Virginia defense did a lot through the first half and through three quarters to give the Melloniers a chance to remain in this football game and Like I said, the fourth quarter they were gassed, but looking at some of these numbers, Iowa State did pick up 26 first downs. Third downs, the West Virginia defense was not too bad, though, four of 13 for Iowa State. So you're holding them under 50%. So they were doing a good job of getting off the field. You know, it was a bend but don't break type thing for the defense, but they were getting off the field on those, you know, third down situations. Iowa State does finish with 391 total yards of offense, including 219 through the air and 172 on the ground. And I think that's what ultimately is what hurts you most defensively in this game. Iowa State has not been able to run the ball all season, and they really found some success against you, you know, averaging over four yards a carry of 4.5, 172 yards. So that really hurt. You know, as I said, that kind of goes hand in hand with what I said late in the game when you're gassed. They broke off a few big runs, especially in that fourth quarter. I remember that uh, the running back they had, Silas, they put in late, fresh legs against the gas defense, and he was running through arm tackles and had a couple big runs that you know helped reach that 172 yard rushing margin and really you know increase that late in the game. As did a lot of these Iowa State offen- um, offensive numbers. So, you know, you can't give up 31 points. Absolutely not. But like I said, the Mountaineers had them. You know, held you know ten points, seventeen points for three quarters of the game and the Mountaineer offense had plenty of chances. So I don't want to harp on the defense too much. I think we've done enough of that throughout the season. And I think this game, they gave the Mountaineers a lot of chance. And I think arguably the past two games, you know, when you go back to last week against TCU, we've seen the Mountaineer defense have performances that give the Mountaineers a chance to win. You know, I don't want to say that it's their two best defensive performances of the season, but it's definitely the most fight we've seen from this defense and the most, you know, I guess, accountability we've seen from this defense. You know, earlier in the season, the offense was doing their part and the defense wasn't. That's kind of flipped here in recent weeks and the defense has been getting the stops they need to get in critical situations and the offense hasn't been anything to do with it. So I did want to reference that. I think got to give the defense a little bit of credit because we've been harping on them, you know, and rightfully so all season. But, you know, when they have done some good things, I want to point that out as well. And I thought they did do some pretty good things in this game. Um, Iowa State's numbers, High 100-deckers, 219 yards passing. Like I said, the running back, Silas, six carries, 77 yards. Most of those coming in the fourth quarter. The other running back, Norton, 69 yards and two touchdowns. Receiving-wise, Xavier Hutchinson, you know, killed the Mountaineers. But that's been the story all season, no matter who Iowa State's opponent has been. He's the just set the single-season record for Iowa State's most receptions in a season. So he's not had less than eight receptions in a game, I believe. That continued against the Mountaineers as he finished with 10 catches for 123 yards and a touchdown. And, you know, the Mountaineers didn't do a good, bad job against him necessarily, I didn't think, save for, you know, late in the game when he got behind the defense wide open. You can't let that happen. For the most part, the Mountaineers had him covered in most of his catches. They weren't, you know, letting turn into big plays. It was a catch and the man's right there on him. And some of them were even contested catches. And uh, Charles Woods was on him, you know, a good portion of the game. And I thought uh, it was a mixed bag there, but we don't know how healthy Charles Woods is either. But I certainly think Charles Woods held his own at time, but. Uh Xavier Hutchinson is just a very talented receiver, one of the most underrated not only in the Big 12 but in the conference as well. Uh, defensively for the Mountaineers, Aubrey Burks leads the team in tackles with nine. I think he's the guy that's had, you know, solid performances at times this season. But the player of the game on defense for the Mountaineers, if you're going to point anybody out, I think has to be Dante Steeles. Probably, like, to the naked eye, I think this was his, you know, best performance, maybe even his best performance statistically to this season. As I've done, you know, the player grades videos here on the Country Roads webcast YouTube side throughout the season, you know you've seen him pop up there. So he's been consistent despite, you know, not popping out on the stat sheet. But this game, he certainly popped out on the stat sheet, adding three more TFLs to his total as he is the Mountaineers' all-time TFL leader. Also in this game became the... Um, all-time leader in career starts for the Mountaineers, or games played, rather, excuse me. Um, So that's a thing. And then he also had a sack in this game, too. So that was good to see. And I thought the Mountaineer defense did a good job getting after the Iowa State offense, like I said, for the better part of three quarters. Late in game, he gave up some things, which you hate to see, but they were gassed at that point. So I don't think you can harp on them too much when they were having to be on the field for the majority of this football game with how bad the West Virginia offense performed in this one. So um, defense, you know, average to above-average performance in comparison, you know, relative to their other performances throughout this season, I suppose. But I do want to take a second and touch on special teams. One thing I've mentioned, you know, throughout this season is that special teams has been an area that has, for the most part, been a positive for West Virginia. And I think there were positives in this game. Oliver Straw had, you know, a heck of a day. He had to punt, you know, what, nine, ten times and downed a few, uh, several of those inside the 20. I think he had two a 52-yard punt, a 53-yard punt, and then one that traveled 60-plus. So some good things from him. And I think for the most part of the season, special teams has been more on the pro side than on the con side for West Virginia. But there was one big con in this game that, I don't want to say you know, cost West Virginia the game, but it certainly was a game-changing play that kind of flipped momentum, and the Mountaineers after that weren't ever as close as they were following this special team's mistake. And if you watch the game, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. You know, third quarter, I believe it was, West Virginia's about to get the ball back, still a one-score game at that point, still in the game. And Iowa State punts the football. And, you know, the coaches go for the punt block. I think the offense had been struggling. They were trying to make something happen. Special teams had made plays for them this season. And in their defense, Iowa State, I think, has had a couple punts blocked this season, and they've had some struggles there on special teams. And when that's an area that Iowa State struggled in and an area that's been an area of strength for you thus far this season, I can't blame the coaching staff for trying to go for the punt block, so they try and you know get after the punter Ree Smith, who had been the mountaineers you know punt returner for the majority of the season until losing that role to Preston Fox, hadn't been on punt block you know too terribly much, obviously for that reason, he was back as the return man, but you know maybe it was something they practiced this week or or whatever, but he was in there on this one. That's kind of been a lot of people's issue with it is why was he in there, you know, and why was he going after it instead of, you know, Anthony Del Negro, who's our special team specialist, who's made a lot of plays. But I digress on that. Either way, what ends up happening, Reece Smith tries to dive and block the punt coming from the side. Instead, his hip, you know, his helmet goes right into the punter's hip. It's a roughing call. First down Iowa State. They end up scoring, and never looking back, and that was kind of one of the turning points of this game. So it really hurt the Mountaineers. So I definitely, you know, talking about special teams, that's something you got to address if you're talking about the story of this game in the Iowa State one. And unfortunately, penalties is something we have to address, you know, now as well. West Virginia is the most penalized team in the Big 12 this season. It's just a fact. I mean, you can look it up. They are the most penalized team in the conference. That's not good. And there's always, I think, an argument to be made with penalties, whether it's a player thing a discipline thing you know a mental thing or how much of that falls on coaching and you know i'll go with that argument i'm you know i can i can go with either side of it really but to me the thing is when you've been having those issues over a course of multiple years then it can't be you know a player thing just a mental mistake thing it's got to fall on coaching at some point when it's you know different players and you're continuing the same mistakes over and over I think at some point that's got to fall back on coaching, especially when you're in in year four. So you know, being the most penalized team definitely is a check in that con box in in Neil Brown's corner, as has been his you know record on the road, specifically in Big Twelve games. I've got a graphic here. I, 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 I'll pop up on the screen for you guys that are watching on the on the video side. But before I get into this, I want to close out with this. Of course, the elephant in the room is the status of Neil Brown and this coaching staff, and I'll touch on that a little bit after I touch on this. I want to talk about his performance in Big 12 road games since becoming the West Virginia head coach. But before I do that, just a quick reminder for you guys, if you're watching on the video side, whether it's on the Country Roads webcast YouTube channel or over on the WV Sports Now YouTube channel, what you can find us there on their channel and on their website there at WVSportsNow.com as we are a part of their podcast network there in the Sports Now family of networks and really appreciative of them. But if you're tuning into to the video version on their YouTube or ours here on the Country Roads webcast channel, do us a favor while you're in here. Scroll down real quick. Hit that thumbs up button. Give us that like. That'll really help this video's performance and help future video's performances as well. And if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Helps us. Helps you. Helps get more of this Mountaineer sports content out to Mountaineer Nation. And then for those of you on the audio side, which you can find us on any podcast platform you cho- you choose, Spotify, Apple, Google, you name it. We're on all of them there. Just search for Country Roads webcast and subscribe to us there. We appreciate that as well. But if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor, leave us a rating. That really helps us as well. Having said that, let me pull this graphic up here real quick, and I will uh, talk a little bit about Neil Brown's record on the road in Big 12 games because I did a little bit of research. You know, going into this one, I knew I didn't want to talk too extensively about the game, but I knew there was plenty of talking points and things I wanted to touch on. And West Virginia's road struggles under Neil Brown is certainly one of them. So looking here, breaking it down i went through you know year by year since he came uh 2019 we were actually 3 and 2 on the road which strangely enough that's our best road record in big 12 conference games now this is only road big 12 games that i'm talking about here okay 2019 3 and 12 on the road in big Tw- i mean excuse me 3 and 2 on the road in big 12 play 2020 we went 0 and 4 on the road in big 12 play all four of our losses that season on the road in conference play 2021, last season, one and three on the road in conference play. Lone win over Kansas by a six point margin. So far this year, 2022, 0 and three on the road in conference play. One more conference road game left against Oklahoma State. We'll see how that goes. But at the very most, you're going to add one more win to this total. And not only that, but I wanted to, you know, a lot of these defeats on the road have been by wide margins, as you see here on this graphic. So I went through. And total the margin of defeat in the losses. And West Virginia's average margin of defeat in losses in Big 12 play, since No Brown has been the head coach, is over 19 points a game. So, three and two, 2019, his best year, and haven't managed more than one win on the road in conference play since his first season. It's extremely strange that he was able to, you know, get three wins out of that 2019 team, which. We all thought overachieved with five wins. That was a really down roster, a really down team. Though he somehow he did a great job with it, specifically in the second half of the season. There, as you see, the final two road games, they beat a Kansas State team who was ranked at the time twenty-four to twenty in twenty nineteen, and then a come from behind win and an impressive one against TCU to get that fifth win. You know, at the end of the season, that's when we all really started buying in to the Neil Brown hype and stuff. But then it's kind of strange that that first year almost seems like the high point in a lot of ways. You can talk about twenty twenty and the the next year being the best because record-wise and stuff, but looking especially on the road, which you have to be able to win on the road if you're going to have a shot to compete in your conference, West Virginia's never been able to, to get back to that. Like I said, only one road win since 2019 in Big 12 play. One. You beat Kansas last year in, in 2021, and that's the only game you've won on the road in Big 12 play since No Brown's first season in 2019. It's currently 3-13. and 13 on the road in big 12 games and that's just not going to get it done and you know like I said wide margin of defeat average of 19 over 19 points in those losses and you know, you just lost by 17 to a team that had zero conference wins and so I think the elephant in the room that's popping up now as you're hearing a lot of people say the rumors of maybe West Virginia will part ways with Neil Brown before the season is over you know at the time of this recording that hasn't happened yet um, I don't I don't know. I kind of don't expect it to happen, if I'm being honest with you, just because West Virginia traditionally just doesn't fire coaches midseason. And I know that it's dire right now, though. I mean, I would I would agree with everyone that it is. You just lost to a winless team in conference, play by seventeen points. You know, you're dead last in the conference, and it's not looking good. You know, over your next three games either. So, you know, I, I'm under, I'm understanding of the calls for it, but. I kind of don't expect it. Like, you know, our friend Mountaineer Paul said, Shane Lyons and Neil Brown are in lockstep for one. Virginia has six losses. So maybe Shane Lyons is able to convince, you know, whoever he needs to convince there within the athletic department and within the university. Hey, we can still win out and get the bowl eligibility, and then maybe after he loses another one, they'll they'll talk about it. But I don't know. I think personally that, like I said, the time of this recording is nothing out. If nothing's out within, you know, the next day, I think before, you know, Tuesday, obviously, when Neil Brown has his press conference. I think if it doesn't happen following this loss, you're not gonna see it happen this season because this is rock bottom, right? You, you can't get lower than losing to the to a winning team in the conference by 17 points and becoming, you know, the last place team in your conference yourself. You can't really get lower than that. So I think if Neil Brown's not fired, you know, following this game, you're probably not gonna see it till after the season. If you see it at all, which is a whole nother discussion we can have at another point, but that's just kind of my thoughts on that. That, of course, is the elephant in the room. I'm sure people want to bring up the status of this coaching staff and what's going to happen, what's not going to happen, and I don't know, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend to know one way or the other. But I'm going to keep an eye on it. And the one thing I can tell you guys is that it's certainly going to be an interesting next few weeks and potentially an inter- interesting next couple of days uh, throughout Mountaineer Nation. You know, it would be interesting regardless as basketball season is about to tip off and we're you know reaching the end of football season. But uh, with the status of this team and this program. It's going to be interesting. A few weeks to see how things turn out, uh, for sure. And we'll be here to cover it along all along the way here on the Country Roads Webcast. I really appreciate you guys tuning in here to Season Five, Episode One Forty Seven, our Iowa State Review and Reaction Edition. Plenty more content coming in the future. Of course, we will have the Oklahoma preview coming out this week, regardless of what happens. And we'll be there to cover any interesting uh, movements that happen along the way. Like I said, West Virginia basketball is tipped off. Check out our CRW hoops coverage as well. Going to be a podcast episode a week um, over there for you guys on the audio side. Then on the video side, we're going to try and do post game streams. You know, following each game. First one of those will be after the Mount St. Mary's game there Monday night on the seventh. The game's at seven, so our post game stream will probably be around nine thirty. But you know, plenty of other content along the way. If you're on the audio side, be sure to hop over to the video side, subscribe there, and vice versa. Plenty of ways to check us out and plenty of Mountaineer sports content coming from us here at the Country Roads webcast. So, like I said, whether you're tuning in on our YouTube, if you're on the video side, or the WV Sports Now YouTube, hit the like button before you head out. Subscribe if you haven't already. Helps us, helps you, helps get more of this Mountaineer sports content out to Mountaineer Nation as we continue to try and grow the Country Roads webcast community throughout Mountaineer Nation. As always, I'm Jordan Cruz, and until next time, Let's go. If you really want to know, then come on, let's go. Take a stroll down those streets.